This podcast is offered by Hakkabai Zen Center on the web at hakkabai.org. Our programs are made possible by the generosity of people like you. Tonight is our last night together like this. Um, the last Dharma talk. So after the talk, let's have a, a, a brief discussion about um, schedule and so forth uh, for the coming year and more mundane matters. The, the talk tonight is about how to, how to wake up and stay awake. I think that's what we called it then. And this is uh, I, uh, something that Hakuzan is going to begin with, right? It's Emma, your, it's your this night. is nice. Thanks very much. Your, your night. <laughs> so, I was, uh, what I came across this, this phrase is probably in the literature, but in my mind, I came across it. Three years ago, I was at the St. Benedict Monastery for a, a um, retreat. And there I was went to the Thanksgiving service, Thanksgiving morning. And the, the brother was um, giving us, of course, the, the joy of Thanksgiving and how blessed we are and gratitude. And everybody had an opportunity then to, if they wanted, to reflect on that. I'm grateful for my wife and my children and, and like that. And then after it was done, he said, are we also grateful for the cancer that our spouse has? Are we grateful for getting fired from a job? In other words, we're grateful for things that are really wonderful, but what about the other side of that question? And then he goes on to talk about, it's in Matthew someplace, and I don't recall, but he, in there it talks about, about what happens when your time comes. Will you be awake? Will you be present? Will you be grounded? Will you be have some semblance of consciousness? And so it made me then begin to think of this, this upward spiral circle that I think about. So we, we birth in, we get conditioned, and we spend a lot of our life you know, in that conditioning. And then if we're fortunate, something will happen to us. And it will be that, that epitus that creates that doubt, that confusion, things don't work anymore, our frames of references start to break down, old paradigms uh, fall apart, and we begin then to investigate. What is this about? Why am I so unhappy? Is this all there is? Even when we have a lot of money, I'm still unhappy. And what's at the basis of all of that? And, and of course, we talked like last night, if we're, you know, maybe we're, we're fortunate to be ignorant and illiterate, and maybe we're fortunate because maybe we're weighing in that, you know, it's waiting for that moment. Because we're already ready and we're just waiting for that spark to ignite us and we see it. And then, of course, as we go through this period of, of, um, of discovery, of undoing our stuff, then this is what I call the waking up part. Uh, you know, and this is what brings us to practice, these great questions, this, I'm unhappy, my parents did this to me, and we're looking for some solution, and everywhere we look, within our own mind, we don't find that solution, we start to reach out. Occupy Center, Occupy uh, Temple, if you will, in my world, and, and Senji as well. We start to look for those people that have that experience, that have that knowledge, and if you will, that wisdom that can help us along the way. And we begin the journey. 
we begin. We become seekers. We become seekers, and we start to read every best-selling book that's ever been, you know, beginner's mind, all of it. You know, we go through the whole thing. We're looking for the next best, best seller. And we buy that, and we become, what does Trump and Rinpoche call them? Spiritual materialists. You know, we got everything. The books are full. We got all the right malas. You know, we, we got the whole package. We're it. Yeah. Right? We're it. Yeah. And, and and this is the waking up part. This is the part that brings us to practice. And I want to read something to you um, from Dogen. This is Moon in a Dewdrop, and all of you, I'm sure, know this. But I'm always struck by how, how wonderful it is. It says, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be enlightened by all things of the universe. To, to be enlightened by all things in the universe is to cast off body and mind of the self as well as those of others. Even the traces of enlightenment are wiped out. And life with traceless enlightenment goes on forever and ever. Forever and ever. Yeah. And of course, Dogen in his fascicle Uji, Uji just takes this whole concept of time apart. He says that we we have this notion of what he calls arutoki, which is linear time, a, pa- a past, a present, and a future time. And he says that we have it all wrong, that there's only one time, and this is present time, this moment time. That's all there is. And this moment, even when our knees are aching and our back hurts, is absolutely impeccable. It's absolutely perfect because it can be no other way than this moment. No matter what my mind says, this hurts, okay? That's the reality of it. That's it. Yeah. Or we take up some of the, some of the art forms, you know, like Kudo. Yeah. Or we read Zen and the Art of Archery. You know, those great classic, Yoagin Haragol. Or we become master gardeners. And we find something that continues to move this process along as we're waking up. And what's wonderful about this waking up part, we don't know when the waking up is going to happen. I mean, Thomas Merton, for years and years, great author, so on and so forth, his awakening happened two times, once at a Catholic church in Havana, and another time at 4th and Maple in Lexington, Kentucky. <laughs> and it just opened up for him. Oh, why Lexington, Kentucky at 4th and Maple? Who knows why? You can't predict it, right? This is what we've been talking about. We have no idea. And this one I really love, St. Anthony of the Desert that I referenced last night. There's a quote that I carry around with me on my phone. It's actually one of the screensavers in the back. It says, each day I say to myself, I will start again. I will start again. Each day I will start again. You know, and I I read these and they're inspirational. They, They motivate me to practice. St. Thomas Aquinas, Gil and I were sharing, I was sharing a story with, with him during uh, Dokusan, and Thomas Aquinas was writing this, this magnificent book, you probably know it, Summa Theologiae. It's a thousand something pages. And he was like a thousand eight, and was just writing away and writing away. And he has his vision, God's there. And God says, you know, you've been such a you know, devoted so and so forth like that. He says, what can I give you? And his answer was, you alone, you alone. 
And we see that all the time. This is what unencumbered communion with the Creator is about. Not to God alone. This is what we sit for, isn't it? This kind of unencumbered communion with it, whatever it is. So those are some of my thoughts, Sanji. Hmm. Not characteristically, I was thinking quite a different, this is one different way. way. Yeah. There's, I mean, I've got some stuff I, out here. I, I think the essential for me, the waking up part, has to do with uh, somehow the way you've put things together is harmful to you. That's causing you all kinds of problems. You get fired from every job you take on, or uh, the girls don't like you, or boys don't like you, people when they see you kick you in the stomach and spit on you, things like that happen. (laughs) (laughs) So you figure maybe there's something screwed up in the way I'm wired. And so you go looking for how to get rewired. I think that's part of what this is. And that's the awakening that... uh, Something fundamental is going on. It's, it's not going to be uh, taken care of by band-aids or uh, prostheses. It's going to be demanding to find what this really is that, that's harming you, that's causing you to do things that uh, are destructive to you and others. Clearly so. So that to me is the awakening. Once you, once that's really clear to you, the path emerges almost automatically, all by itself. Because you begin to investigate right away, and the only way you can investigate your mind is meditation. It's the only way, because otherwise, the minute you have a thought, that thought turns into something either an aversion, um, a pleasant thought, you you need to tell somebody about it, so you text it uh, uh, to somebody or call on the phone or yell up the stairs, I had a thought. (laughs) 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 That's what I feel like half of the time. (laughs) I need to, every time I have a thought, I should write it down. I probably wouldn't fill up a a 10-page book by the end of the month. (laughs) Anyhow, so how do you stay awake and not fall back into into delusion? I think that's what I took this question to mean, uh, that that I've been kind of uh, contemplating in my own head. Part of it is, is like when you go to a foreign country, uh, everybody's eating different food and eating in a different way and at different times, and they look different, and they interact in a different way, and you really wake up. You you notice things you never did before, like how people are eating, or what they're eating. What is that, you know? And you've never seen anything wiggle like that before in your life. And then somebody eats it, you know? And, And you go, whoa. 
And then you start looking at your own food and your own habits in a new way, and it becomes kind of instructive to do that. And you study how people think from all over different places in the world, and, and uh, it's instructive. It's very instructive to see how people make their map, how they, def how they map their, their, their world and navigate from that map. So to awaken, I think, is, is kind of like arriving in a foreign country every day. Uh, you awaken with that kind of alertness that, uh, oh, there's my spoon. I've never seen that one before. You know? Or my cup ready to eat. I've, every day is a new day. This, this was, uh, I did a, a long, long retreat with Coben supervising. And when I went into the retreat, he did this huge calligraphy for me down in our cabin in Arizona, uh, which is, uh, says, no two sons, uh, no two days, no two moments are the same. But basically, I'd wake up every morning and look at that and have no idea what was going to happen. I knew what I'd be doing that day because I was just doing the same thing every day. And I knew what I'd be eating every day. But I had no idea where my mind would be going. Uh, and I woke up with that kind of freshness every day. But you come out of the retreat and your uh, message button is going boing, 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 boing. <laughs> People are trying to call you and say, Honey, it's been so long since you called me. Or <laughs> 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 oh, whatever. And suddenly you're very busy and very distracted. And then you look for distractions from being distracted. Go out and have some fun. <laughs> and that's it. I used to have a limousine business and take people around to have fun. Uh, that was uh, semi-opener. <laughs> this was in the 80s when, when everybody that could hire a limousine used cocaine. Uh, often I'd uh, <clears throat> take the last person home and there'd be no answer in the back. And I'd open the back and there's this guy completely passed out, all his powder all over him. <laughs> I'd carry him into his bed and open his wallet and take out what he owed me and put his wallet back. Never cheated anybody. And they were out having distractions from their distractions. So, one of the things I found very helpful when I was in Japan recently to uh, answer this question was to install certain things in your daily behavior patterns that are kind of obnoxious and wake you up all the time because they are. Like you have to change slippers all the time. There's slippers for this and slippers for that. There's slippers for the bathroom and there's slippers to go into the <laughs> hondo and then there's a different slippers for the hallways. <laughs> and if you change slippers constantly, every time you change slippers, especially if they don't fit very well, <laughs> it wakes you up. You go, the, the awareness comes back and, into everything. And so if you install in your life some kind of 
details like that, like changing slippers or uh, saying the prayers before you eat, for example, setting an intention in the morning uh, that's very clear, geared to the macrocosm and the microcosm both. Set a general overall intention for all sentient beings and set an intention for yourself within that context. And then fill your days with things that remind you constantly to, of, of, of your awareness, that bring you back to the moment. Eat soup that's too hot. It burns. And you think, oh, I better let it cool off. Otherwise, you just eat your soup and you don't think about it. So when you order your soup from a restaurant, say, bring it to me too hot. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, they'll say, we can't, this liability problems. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing I do, and so all of these are kind of personal answers, because I I have all, and I change these behaviors frequently to sort of, if I travel, I have to uh, install different behaviors when I'm here, depending on what I'm doing. But... um, I look, when I'm uh, wanting to do something right away, I slow down. So whenever I see the instinct to speed up, I try to systematically do the opposite. So when I say, I've got to get this task done, I need to put 451 nails into these boards by 2 o'clock. I go, what's the best way to hit one nail? Now, maybe I should think about that first before I go start banging away and hurt myself, probably, make a mess of the job. I mean, I've never really thought about the best way to hit a nail, but I'll bet if I did, I'd, you know, within an hour, I'd come up with, at least for my body, the best way to do it. Like, do you ever get an itch in your ear? Well, what's the best way to scratch it? Have you thought about that? I go this way. <laughs> How do you go? <laughs> because that reminds me that I'm scratching my ear and I'm not automatically just scratching something out. So if you, you do things like that, your awareness comes back because what happens is when you lose your awareness, you really lose your access to, to big mind altogether. It'd be nice if we lived peacefully in the forest without radio frequencies intruding, but we don't. We live with each other. We live with constant intrusion. And our way is the opposite diametric opposite of the cultural way at this moment. So we're, don't tell the CIA I said that. This is subversive. We're probably the most subversive people on the planet. It's it's quite possible because we don't do anything. (laughs) (laughs) And we don't know anything. 
<laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> we also look to what's going on, what's really going on. We're troubled by our delusions. And so we're always trying to see what's actually happening when everybody else is doing the opposite. They're trying to forget what's happening. They're trying to live a dream of what's happening. They're isolated and desperately seeking community, only adding to their isolation. Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. Sangha is where it's very much at for us because the uh, strength to resist this is something we need to gain from each other. It's, it, we have to tell each other, you know, we're the sensible ones, not the other way. Because at this point, it, it's pretty clear there are different, different approaches to well, that doesn't mean we can't be scientists. Doesn't mean it doesn't mean we can't be violinists. It doesn't limit us in any way. It just limits us from engaging in distraction. Or if you want a distraction, I showed you how you can control your mind. You know, go to other planets and have a good time. Go to the South South Beach in Miami or something like that on a cold day and enjoy it. Use that kind of distraction if you have to, but that's still a distraction. But don't go around like that all day long. So, just to conclude, I think for me, awareness is the basis of whatever awakening is. It's the basis of transformation. Through our meditation, we seek to become aware of who we really are and who we're really not. And it turns out that the people we think we are are the ones we're really not, and the other way around. <laughs> the mirror is not you, but you are it, as we say in the Hokkyozen you have something to add? Just the, the last part that you were talking about, the rituals that we can create in our daily yes. life that help us to remember why we're here, what we're doing, what the process is, and all whatever those might be. And there's some individualistic, but each one of those, as you point to, in some way goes after, strengthens, examines awareness. Without that, we don't see relationships. We just don't. It's impossible to. And we continue to muddle along, thinking that we're making progress, when in fact we keep doing the same thing. So your suggestions of doing something and doing it, 45 degrees from that doing, creates a way of, oh, I see that now. I see that now. That wakes you up. And so what was bothering you becomes an asset. You transform on the spot. Yeah. How can I look at it? How can I respond differently? Which, what other choices are available to me? That's what awareness, I think, in my world mm -hmm. offers. Exactly. Yeah. A constant paying attention. Washing dishes, whatever it is. And it's in order to make that constant, when you, when you first arouse awareness, it's usually exhausting. 
and so a part of it is is learning this soft touch awareness, where you just sort of always. Uh, it helps if you don't label anything. You know, when you see a table, you don't see a table. You just see a piece of wood with legs, and you hear a sound. You just hear a sound. Would you would you call that just processing? Looking at the processing of what's taking place? Yeah, just looking at what's taking place and forgetting about what it's called. Mm-hmm. Then then you're open to all of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, any technique is a technique. We forget that there are other ways. Mm-hmm. We get habituated to that. But I think it's very helpful to chant every morning. Chanting has does all kinds of wonderful things. It's a ritual, like you said, which sets a, a tone for the day and a motivation mm-hmm. for the day. The, the Dharanis connect you both, and uh, we include the Hanya Shingyo as a Dharani. You notice we chant it in the Sino-Japanese, not in English, because we're looking for its mantra uh, aspect, we're not, not its uh, meaning aspect. This is an unusual Dharani in that it has meaning. Most of them don't. Daishin Dharani doesn't have any uh, translation that's of any value or merit at all. Their mantra, mantra is a sacred formulation of syllables to bring about a certain energy or deity or uh, process to happen. So Daishin Dharani is uh, to arouse compassion. And when you rouse compassion, compassion goes around. So it's compassion to yourself, it's a compassion to the Sangha, it's compassion to the bugs and the bees, and it's compassion to the sky and the sun, the mountains, the rivers, the wind that blows. It's compassion to it all. And we arouse that compassion when we chant the Daishin Dharani. This is the one in Japan that's chanted all the time. Monk in Japan wakes up chanting <laughs> with mother constantly. And the other one is chanting for wisdom, the Prajnaparamita. So we include Avalokiteshvara and Manjushri, who are the symbolic representation of compassion and wisdom. And in the same way, we're asking, from a dualistic point of view, we're asking Manju to provide wisdom to those who are ignorant, to lead people from their delusions so that they're not suffering from their own minds. Ask Manju to appear for you. And you offer incense to, and you're, then you chant, and the chant, it's like empowering Manjushri. Mm. His heart starts beating, boom, 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 boom. You know, as you beat the drum, and Manju goes, I'm going to go help a lot of people. (laughs) 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 And so you've aroused, in the morning when you chant those two, particularly, you arouse that energy, and that energy is in you as well. And that's a good good place to start the day. All the others are also good. Any, Any of them. But those two, Memorize them and do them every day. That, that would be a good, good ritual to get into. If you have an eye watch, you can set it to Bing every twenty minutes or Twitch or something like that, <laughs> and uh, that will cause you to go. 
And you yawn three times or take three deep breaths or figure out something to break your habit of whatever you're into and loosen up, stand up, do something else. Something like that. Monastery is full of these bells that go off all the time that constantly bring you back to your awareness. Well, you know, after a while, you, they, you know what they mean, but you still hear them. They interrupt the silence. You know, timing by the bell sounds. And then we have the bell that has no timing. It dings whenever the wind blows. Yes. And it often sounds just like a temple bell. It does. Bong, and, and you can almost feel bong. the... rhythm of the The wind blows real hard and you get still <laughs> and all is quiet and kind of muddled down into your... Then it wakes you up again. Yeah. And then you say, is there pattern in that chaos? Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> <laughs> start thinking about that. <laughs> so maybe we could have our discussion. If there are any questions about this subject? I have a question. Yes, please. Is it possible that an experience, an awakening experience, is not authentic? Is an awakening experience not authentic? Uh, yes, I think completely. I'd say 95% of the time. Okay. Somebody needs to check. <laughs> yeah, you have to check with somebody who can validate it because the uh, if the ego is part of it at all, it's not authentic. It has to be outside of all ego formation for it to... It's a cell. It happens like in your body. Sometimes you you physically change. Was it was the uh, Krishna Murti who had, during his awakening grew tits? Visit. He was visibly a completely different person after about three weeks of going through the transformation and his awakening. And if you read him, he's the one that always says, "Don't believe anything." You <laughs> or here don't believe anything could I ask you one more question mm-hmm. so it could be um, many or more smaller experiences but it also could be a, a big a really big breakthrough so yes it could be uh, we, as we were talking about the sudden and the gradual, you, when it happens, it seems very sudden. <laughs> but it might have been 20 lifetimes to get to where you're at right now. And 20 more maybe before the awakening happens. It doesn't make any difference. As long as you're going in the right direction, what more can you do in life? I mean, you, we should be humble. It's not, we're not going to... Well, maybe, maybe you will. You're only 23 years old. He's got more of a chance than the rest of us. <laughs> Certainly not me. I'm not going to get there. But in five or six lives, I might. Who knows? Good luck. <laughs> well, yes. Well, I remember also we are like, I remember Trinpani Poche's book, 
you know, he was talking about, you know, like this, you know, zendo, you know, accidentally you get in and turn lights on. People, oh, don't wake me up. But actually, the guy who can say is because he, he woke up. Huh. Said, don't wake me up means you're pretending. You are sleeping. <laughs> you know? So that kind of humans, you know, may function pretending as if we are not waking up and we have to wake up, we have to wake up. But at the same time, we are already awake. You know, that perspective. And also, more spiritual people talking about ascension or whatever. But we actually awake and we are pretending we are sleeping so we can gain something. More not, just like you said, not confronting yourself of who you are from pretending we are not waking up to, you know, sustain all the identity. In other words, you, you say we, we pretend that, that uh, we're deluded because we can't, we don't want to face the fact that we're awake. Yeah, that's so painful for some people. To face yeah, being awake. awake. Because of the responsibility of being awake? It depends. For lots of reasons. What other reasons would there be besides Yeah, response? just like you say, well, whatever, take responsibility. You have to, for example, move forward. You know, same thing as a human's psychological activity. Does it mean you don't feel pain? Pain, of course, possibly pain is there. Is there? Of course, all the time. Yeah. I could see why nobody would want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what's the benefit of it? Benefit is maybe we can stop this neurosis. Oh, I have to wake up. I have to wake up. I have to keep awaking. It's a neurosis sometimes. I, th I think you're right. Uh, in my particular case, I, I face patterns of dullness is my biggest obstacle. I, I can go through hours and not even know what's happened in that period of time. In a way, I get into a very dreamy, sleepy... Uh, I think it came from Trungpa Rinpoche's uh, three-hour sits and 16-hours-a-day practices that we used to. And after a while, the only way I could endure it, it was so painful, it was just to go away. And I figured out how to, I could sit there for eight hours and not move and not feel like anything at all. And I can still do that. And that's been a problem ever since that happened. Mm -hmm. That's a disease. So I, I have to look for things to kind of bump me out of that. And solve them in my day. I find chanting is one of the best. The vibration of chanting mm -hmm. helps bring my whole. That I think what happens is my, that dullness is my whole vibrational level goes so low that I'm just sort of like in a sense reduction tank. If you've ever done one of those, where you're just there, but you're not. I mean, you're feeling, but you can't feel anything. You're seeing, but there's it's black. You're hearing, but there's no sound. Yeah, it's like that. Right. 
anyhow, but it can become easily a neurosis. Everything to to uh, and it becomes a neurosis. I mean, isn't neurosis defined by ego gets behind the behavior? That's the problem. Is when ego gets behind. Anything else? It's interesting while you all are speaking this, I'm thinking in terms of kind of my my traditions practices in terms of meditation and that, and it's actually um, in a lot of circles achieving that what I would quite frankly call a dissociative state, where you're just not you're not there, mm. is kind of actually what you're looking to achieve. Not in Buddhism. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, it's, yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting juxtaposition, especially for me as someone who's studied both. That, you know, you were talking about earlier, like the visualization exercise you took us took us through, and you can do incredibly, incredibly powerful things. With, with, that, with that technique, you can do whatever you absolutely. want. Absolutely. And you can, you can create literally a whole internal world that has... You could melt ice. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting just that that interplay between conscious action, like definitive conscious action that you're aware of, but also being able to just be in the numinous, like mystery quality of it. It's mm-hmm. like, a, it's again, it's, it's that same dichotomy between, yeah, conscious aware action and fostering that, but also simultaneously allowing yourself to just be in the, the mystery of it. Yeah, and a part of it is just relaxing into it mm-hmm. and not not making it one thing, big deal. Mm. You know, so you get to see heaven. It's a big deal. <laughs> What's next? <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Uh, I find uh, I can relate to what you just said. Uh, also, uh, one of my uh, explorations in the last, I don't know, two or three years has been noticing when I'm uh, drifting or spaced out and then noticing when I'm attentive, focused, aware of something. What I'm interested in recently is that space in between Mm -hmm. and uh, been exploring that and there is some some me in between there that seems worthy of my attention, if, if you will. It's not really uh, uh, manipulating mm-hmm. attention, that type, not uh, purposeful. It's just noticing, just noticing. Happens first thing in the morning. Often. Oh, yeah, in mm-hmm. between uh, you your dream and waking, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, as you were speaking that, what came up for me is actually because you were talking about ceremony and ritual. Mm -hmm. And I think that I I forget who the quote is from, but they basically said that ceremony and ritual allows you to engage in being a child again and having an imagination. And I really, for me, ceremony and ritual, I mean, it's it's very central to my personal practice because 
it allows you to consciously like take the conscious aspect and implant that into the numinous by creating, you know, separating sacred space from mundane space and being like, ah, like in this space, like it's all potentiality, anything can happen. And actually giving your mind, your conscious mind permission to engage in that. It's like it combines the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. Anything else you would like to say or ask? You've been quiet tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose I get something uh, just in terms of the the interplay between awareness and not awareness and and effort and intention and not effort and not intention. I've been noticing in the suits that it seems like um, the the state of genuine attentive stability that is free from laxity and excitement is 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 present when you're when only when you're just not getting in the way of yourself at all. Only when you're mm-hmm. we kind of talked about this, but um, the the ceaseless quiescence is already there, but we're just constantly getting in the way of ourselves. And so um, there's that subtle balance of, there's a subtle effort that goes on because we have to get in the way of getting in the way of ourselves. (laughs) Um, Anyway, it's an interesting thing to fiddle with. This is kind of what uh, Dai was talking about, too. Saying that we're already awake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that, that we're aware of that on some level. And then we get in the way of, of seeing that. And the way we do that is very individual. And so that's why meditation, which doesn't give you any program, but lets you see what, how your mind functions, can help you to... to um, pacify those obscurations, things that are getting in your way, can become assets to you, helpful. And their energy can transform to uh, positive energy. Well, maybe we should do our nine prostrations and then have our meeting after that. And that would conclude the Dharma part of it. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Hakkabai Zen Center. Our Dharma Talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Hakkabai and how to give, please visit us on the web at hakkabai.org.